another episode of Self-Directed. Got a good friend and former colleague, Matt Strack on here, uh, who's a financial advisor and for the better part of the past decade, Matt's been helping people manage their personal financial plan. Today, we're going to get his take on tips, advice for people just starting out. Matt, welcome to Self-Directed. Hey, Mitchell. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for... Thanks for coming on. And let's just get right into it. Let's start with with just a, a big softball question. What are some of the most important things for somebody, you know, just starting out, like the 18-year-old to, you know, mid-late 20s, what are some of the most important things for them to get right about their personal finances? Yeah. Uh, and this is probably actually the most interesting thing that I think when it comes to meeting it, people of all ages uh, is knowing, first and foremost, uh, your budget. Uh, so that not only includes like what you're spending your money on, uh, but as well as what's coming in. Um, you know, I find it fascinating when people who are 45, even I have clients who are 65 years old who don't know what they spend their money on every month. Uh, and for me, that's really important to know because then I can help them actually put a plan together for all life's goals, retirement and everything. But uh, a lot of people are dissatisfied with their financial well-being and they don't even know what their mortgage payment is or what electric bills are or how much they're spending on groceries every month. Uh, so you really have to own that budget. If you can start that the earlier, uh, so as soon as you start getting a paycheck, even for high schoolers out there, whenever they get a paycheck and budget that out, they're going to be so much better off uh, than their peers and really just the general public um, that it's really kind of hard to fathom. That's the most successful people I know financially know where every dollar goes and it's not because they're meticulous they're just trying to own it yeah so you you've been doing this for almost a decade i'm sure you've seen a, a wide variety of 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 situations do you think the average person has a good handle on this or is it just like you know kind of the dark art still to most people uh i mean if the average person had a really good handle on it right i probably won't have a job <laughs> uh, but it Money is really emotional for most people, right? Uh, a lot of people, unfortunately, don't enjoy what they do, so they're really emotional. Well, emotion, yeah, they have a lot of emotions around their money just in general. So it's very overwhelming for them to try to make a good decision or make or avoid making bad decisions. So instead of making that good decision or bad decision and learning more, they tend to just avoid it. Um, and, and there's tons of material out there, right? There's great, some great uh, podcasts out there. There's great radio shows, great books, but not all of it actually uh, is relevant to each individual. It can be really overwhelming. So I think one of the reasons why nobody begins on that journey of financial independence is they're just simply overwhelmed yeah. uh, with the amount of information out there. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, and you're, you're starting to see, you're starting to see, I think, the market learn that most people are overwhelmed. There's all these different websites pop popping up like the penny hoarder and nerd wallet. And oh, there, there are dozens of others probably that are like trying to make the barrier to personal finance a little bit more accessible. But even those, if you log on there, if you don't have a specific thing you're looking for, that can be overwhelming. Like, you know, 25 different calculators for, you know, God knows what loans, credit card comparisons and all these things. And like, when I think just about, you know, being a consumer of some of those things, sometimes it's like, I'm not, I don't need to optimize all these things. I don't even know, like, where, where's the starting point? So, you know, you mentioned, mentioned most people, they don't have a handle on their budget. So that's a, that's a big first step. 
what's the next step? Like what's the, what's the, the foundations once somebody goes and sits down and, and does their budget? Like what, you know, what, what are the foundational steps that they need to take next? Yeah. Uh, so for me, when I'm working with clients, you know, it's know your budget and then saving money. I have heard, I think it's in Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He talks about pay yourself, then pay all your bills. Uh, and that's great for some people. I'm, my bank is very fond of me paying my bills and then saving money. Uh, so everybody's a little bit different, right, on that perspective. And it, that should, whether you pay yourself first or uh, pay your bills first, uh, it should shake out to be the same uh, at the end of the day. But really having that savings account and being a disciplined saver, a lot of people, and myself included at times, didn't know what they were saving for. So they would just go spend that money, right? Uh, but building that savings account and having that, and a lot of people at their bank is the right place to do it because it's comfortable. You can get on an app and transfer the money back to your checking account, but moving it out of sight, out of mind, uh, and trying to save 10% every month of that net paycheck. So it actually hits your bank account, uh, into your savings account until you really build up that emergency fund, uh, and for some people, that's six months. Uh, for others, it's closer to a year, really whatever they're comfortable with. Uh, the smallest emergency fund should be about three months. Uh, I normally advise that based off of the type of income you have. So if you're a teacher, I'm very confident that teachers are always going to get paid. Uh, three months might be enough. Then plus, you know, for deductibles or if an air conditioner goes out, right? Yeah. Uh, things like that. But if you're self-employed and you have 20 employees and you're pretty good employer in that fact that you're going to pay your employees before you pay yourself. Uh, it may make sense to have closer to 12 months to 18 months of liquid cash or cash equivalents. Uh, so really that emergency fund uh, is what I advise being next. Uh, and that's what I've done with myself. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Like, uh, you know, and I think that you made another good point. Like a lot of people like to, to have it accessible, like the, the liquidity where you can, you can easily transfer it or whatever. Beyond just savings accounts, you know, I think the average person also feels overwhelmed. You know, there are a million different retirement accounts or a million different strategies to start saving once you have a little bit of a, of a cushion. What, what are other things that, that you think are important to, to start thinking about or, or start, you know, start making good decisions? Yeah. Uh, so obviously that's going to be contingent upon somebody's life goals. Yeah. If somebody I have, uh, Think of one client in particular. He, I, I love him to death. He's a fantastic human being, and he always tells me, "I just want to live a boring, boring life. I want to spend a lot of time with my family. I want to enjoy what I do, but I want to retire at a reasonable age. I don't need anything uh, sexy." I'm like, "Great." So for him, you know, we have that emergency fund. We have a fund set up to where he can access it to help pay for his kids' college. But then a lot of it goes to retirement because he doesn't want that lake house. He doesn't want to start a business. So it makes sense to use uh, tax qualified accounts. Um, but if somebody wanted to start a business, we may forego uh, any IRAs or putting above matching dollars into a 401k and really focus on that non-qualified account uh, to go get maybe five to 8% return in the market. Uh, so that way they can reach their you know, life goals of starting a business earlier. Yeah. So depending on what your goals are, you know, really looking at that tax qualified accounts and the benefits there or just a non-qualified, uh, which non-qualified just means you're going to get taxed on the gains each year. 
Uh, so for most people, what they're familiar with is like Robinhood or E-Trade, stuff that you can trade in or just buy mutual funds, pull the money out whenever you want without any taxes, well, without any penalties. Uh, so that's what I mean by a non-qualified account. Um, and most of my investable dollars for my clients are in non-qualified accounts. Yeah, that's 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 good advice. It makes a lot of sense. You know, tailor it to your goals, obviously. Um, what beyond that? You know, you, you again. I'll go back to. I don't know how much money I'm making. I'm not budgeting. I may not be savings. Beyond those types of things, what are some of the other like biggest mistakes you see? Whether you know, not just with your clients, but just like people you talk to in general. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Keeping up with the Joneses is easily the biggest one. I think if uh, most self-help financial uh, guidance, I don't want to say financial planning, but guidance uh, books uh, talk about don't worry about keeping up with the Jones. Uh, I don't think credit cards are necessarily bad things, but uh, they definitely get abused. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're going to pay 15% interest on something, then you probably don't need it uh, unless it's, from an emergency or you have to have it uh, for whatever reason, but you'll be really hard pressed to convince me shoes or vacation or something you have to have. Uh, <laughs> you know, in Oklahoma, we don't get a ton of great weather all the time, but you can go sit outside and enjoy the weather or go on a nice nature walk somewhere for, or even go to a state park and spend a couple hundred bucks over a weekend uh, and have a mini vacation, but you don't need to go to Mexico uh, for vacation if you're going to put it on a credit card. Uh, so avoiding bad debt, such as credit cards or just uh, those luxury items, uh, is where most younger people, and even myself when I was you know, 22, uh, don't really avoid. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, so you just dropped the term bad debt. Is there... Is there an inverse to that? Is there, you know, is there such thing as good debt? What, what is that? What does that look like compared to, you know, racking up a bunch of unnecessary things on a credit card? Yeah. Uh, so if you could buy a car in cash, a good reliable car in cash, great. That's, you should do that. Most people, that's not a realistic uh, goal for them to do, especially on their first vehicle. So going and buying a vehicle, uh, and getting a loan to do that, in my opinion, isn't necessarily bad debt, uh, especially since you need transport, reliable transportation to get a decent job. Uh, now, if you can work close to where you live, that's great. Maybe you don't need uh, that vehicle. I personally think that mortgages are fine uh, as long as you're not living above your means in that house, right? Uh, I'm comfortable with my mortgage. Odds are we'll probably be in that house for five to 10 years because it's what we want and what we need. Uh, unless our life dramatically changes. Uh, so I don't think mortgages are bad. I know I work with a lot of business owners who, you know, use leverage to buy their business, uh, grow and expand their business. So using debt strategically, you know, in those capacities makes sense uh, because they're using the debt to go out and make more money. Uh, but those simple things like buying a car, buying a house, uh, expanding or buying a business, or yep. typically, I think things are good debt. Where if you can't write the interest off, it's probably not good debt. <laughs> so what about you know what about for the you know the average person, eighteen to you know twenty five ish, or in your your late twenties, and you're you know you're you're navigating through a lot of these questions. Like, what's your opinion on renting 
versus buying, whether it's a car or, you know, an apartment or house or whatever, like there, there's, there's so much different advice about this, but what's, what's your take on it? Yeah. Uh, and first and foremost, I don't think anybody should buy a home if they don't think that they're going to live in it, uh, for less, for more than five years. Uh, so if you're like, well, I might move, then don't buy a home. Um, that's, you're going to spend more money in interest, more money in upkeep than what it's worth. Uh, you probably don't need that hassle because if you're not going to be in it for that long, you're immediately looking at the next job anyways. Uh, so there's just a lot of things that go by the wayside, let alone just the hassle of all of it. And when I say that I had a very good home purchasing experience, uh, but thinking long-term too, right? Cash flow is a really big deal. I have a couple clients that are entering retirement that it doesn't make any sense for them to buy a home. Uh, they can go rent a small apartment for 600, 700 bucks a month. Uh, and that's ultimately going to be cheaper for them. But, you know, if, if I was 25 years old all over again, uh, and look, re-looking at buying a house, first and foremost, I think I'm going to be there for five years or more excessively the, the break even and keep in mind most, most of the time when people buy a house, their first home purchase is for five to seven years. Um, but am I going to buy that house? Am I going to make improvements? And then do I think the area is going to appreciate? Uh, so if you can't say yes to all three of those things, that may not be the right house for you. Uh, but the biggest mistake I see is people buy too big of a house and then plan on moving in three, you know, two or three years. That's not enough time. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So again, you've been in this for a while and a lot of the stuff that you know and kind of probably consider like common knowledge may not have been stuff you knew going out, you know, when you just were first, first getting in, into the, the mix, what personal advice, excuse me, what personal finance advice today, what, what seems obvious to you now, but wasn't when you're first, you know, we're first getting started and out in the real world. Uh, I mean, I think what I do now better, what's actually helped me be a lot better saver uh, is you really have to know yourself and know like, do I need just one savings account or what really your spending habits are? Uh, for me, what's worked best is uh, kind of like, I'm like a squirrel and I have, I have three different non, well, actually I have four non-qualified accounts. Uh, so those accounts that I can pull money out of whenever, and that's just automatically saving into them. And none of them are gigantic by any means. Uh, and they, two of them do the exact same thing, but the idea is that I'm just stocking away money there, you know, slowly, but surely. And since it's never going to be that big, I'm not going to be personally tempted, uh, to pull the money out, right. And go spend it, uh, uh, making a big home improvements because that money for me is 10 to 15 year money. Uh, so those goals are important. So therefore I should leave the money there and let it continue to grow. Uh, because, if the goal is not important, then yeah, I'll pull the money out, but uh, I'm going to leave that money there. And what, what's changed there is I used to think I could get that done with one account, but the account would get bigger and you'd be like, you know what? I really want a new suit. Uh, <laughs> I, have suits. Uh, I bought a couple suits this year right before the market crash. I regretted it for a second. Uh, but if when the account will get bigger, I didn't have the discipline to just let it sit and really continue to save money. Uh, and as a consequence, like it's take me longer to do other things. So really knowing myself and knowing that I need to divide my savings up 
in the multiple accounts so that I remove temptation. Because uh, I'm no, although I'm a financial advisor, I'm no better than anybody else uh, when it comes down to basic things. I've just done a better job of addressing my personal flaws and trying to create that system uh, to remove temptation. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. Understanding your personal temptations and what you're going to spend the money on and try, doing your best to remove those temptations uh, and you know, facilitate savings has helped me a lot. Yeah. That's, that's all great advice. Like protect, protect yourself from yourself. <laughs> yeah. If I was a, if I was a gambling addict, I would not go around casinos. Yeah. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. All right. The big question I want to ask you, because I know, I know you're a nerd and I know you're not offended when I say that uh, because I, you know, come from the same cloth. You read a ton of books, follow a lot of, of great writers and people who have opinions on personal finance, investment, econ, all of the above. What are some of the top books you wish you had when you were 18 to 22? Eight? Uh, I mean, starting from the basics, uh, I think, and I've given out hundred over a hundred copies, uh, but it's just a the Richest Man in Babylon by oh, uh, Jordan uh, One, I like it because he's not telling you any particular product or investment tool. He's more or less just talking about the foundation of all of it and the steps you should take. And he does it in a storytelling fashion. And for those that don't know, that book was written in uh, like 1928 and 1929. Uh, so he's not a competitor of mine either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So that being one, Unshakable by Tony Robbins is pretty good as well. Uh, I re I've recommended that quite a few times. Power of Zero is pretty good, uh, especially for younger uh, savers who want to get ahead on retirement. Uh, Power of Zero is written by David McKnight. He's a little bit of a competitor, uh, but that's really not that big a deal. I, get, I don't care. It's, <laughs> but, uh, I've recommended it to people. Uh, so those being on the simpler side of things, uh, Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham's great. Uh, what, there's one up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. He used to run the Magellan Fund for Fidelity. And he talks, talks about investing in what you know. And I've referenced that book a lot to clients who started their own like, you know, E-Trade accounts and stuff. And they've asked for advice. And, uh, you know, if I'm not investing the money. I can't necessarily hold your hand all day long, but, uh, tell them it's like, hey, these are the principles I look at. Uh, this is, and they, they ask me questions about companies like I've never even heard of. Yeah. They're like, well, trading for 25 cents. I'm like, well, there's a reason it's trading for 25 cents. Uh, and there's a, there's a lot of reasons but in there, but go back and talk to him. It's like, well, do you know much about the company? Uh, what conviction do you actually have? And he covers a lot of that. It's a great book. Uh, and it actually opened up my mind. To, not my mind, but my eyesight to listen to a lot of other people who have no idea about anything when it comes to investments, uh, just because he talks about really good investment opportunities that he missed out on because yep. he didn't listen to what his wife was spending his money, uh, their money on. She's like, oh, this clothing, clothing store, I think he mentions Forever 21, uh, he either invested in it or missed out on it. And it blew up and it was all because of his wife. And it's, if he would have listened to his wife, he would have got in much earlier. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so those are really good books to get started. Uh, you know, and oddly enough, I think Twitter has a lot of great stuff. 
Uh, there's an entire community that's references like Bintwit uh, for financial Twitter. Uh, so there's there are a ton of great advisors to go listen to. Uh, you know, I had mentioned earlier prior to the to the call that uh, I'm waiting for a book to come out by a guy by the name of Morgan Housel, H O U S E L, that I follow. He writes about behavioral finance. He's great there. Um, so I follow him. Awesome. I follow that, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great list. I'll I'll include links to links to all those in the show notes. So thanks for thanks for your time today. Any last parting advice for the person just getting started? About their finance that we haven't already covered. Uh, yeah, as soon as you get your benefits, I mean, make sure if you get a four hundred one k, get your matching dollars. Uh, if you don't know something, uh, make sure and ask. I think the biggest concern that a lot of people may have, uh, and why they turn to all these, uh, you know, books and gurus and stuff, which you know, I'm not a guru by any means. That's why I study and why I read so much to try to get smarter. Uh, but the reason why they turn all these books is they're afraid to ask uh, for help. You know, people re- reach out to me uh, if you want to put my email. Like, I don't care. Like, ask me a question. I think it's fun. Uh, I go to parties and uh, dinners all the time, and people corner me and ask me all kinds of questions. Like, stop <laughs> on this stuff. Ask me all types of finance questions. Like, I love it. Uh, this, I went to school for finance. Uh, so the biggest thing that I think somebody should feel comfortable doing is asking for help whether that's from another financial uh, professional uh, or from somebody older at their work or the HR department at their larger companies for help. Just simply ask for help. Like, I don't understand what this means. Will you explain it? Uh, And that goes, I think, far beyond just finance, but just in general in life, uh, asking for help. And normally people like to feel smarter. I love to feel smarter too. So maybe that's why I like people asking me questions uh, and asking for help. Uh, so odds are you're going to flatter somebody by asking them for help. Yeah. And maybe get some useful information as well. So awesome, Matt, I will include links to that in the show notes and thanks for coming on. This has been another episode of self-directed continuing our personal finance segment. See you again soon.